Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. We are uh, traveling through Mark's Gospel, and uh, it's just good to be alive. We, uh, we took a trip to Peachtree City, Georgia this week to be trained for our upcoming Windshape Camp, which the dates for that are June 18th through the 22nd. So if you have children or grandchildren or even great-grandchildren who would want to participate in that camp, those are the dates, June 18th through the 22nd. And we took a, a leadership team down to be trained in that, and um, it snowed in Peachtree City, Georgia, more than it did here in Roanoke, Virginia. And so um, I'm still recovering a little bit from wrestling that 15-passenger van all the way back to Roanoke on Wednesday afternoon and evening, but uh, we did not die. We did not wreck. We saw many cars that did, so thank you for your prayers for those of you who were aware and were praying. And also, I failed to mention during our time of announcements, there's a business meeting tonight at 5 o'clock. I'm not aware of, of anything really significant coming up other than uh, voting and approving the clerk's report in which we'll, we'll have our, our new members who have joined since last meeting. We'll formally adopt and approve that, which is always an exciting thing to do as a church family. So hopefully a relatively brief business meeting tonight at 5 p.m. Please uh, make an effort to be here with us. So having said all that, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, Mark chapter 3, verse 7, and continuing through verse 12, would you hear now the word of God? Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great number of people heard of all he was doing, and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that uh, in the moments to come, Lord, that this uh, somewhat challenging text of Scripture would, would speak to us. Lord, that you would help us to understand more fully who Jesus is. And as a result, how the church should conduct herself, what we should value and what we should prize in every season. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of this gospel, Mark tells us he's writing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. At Jesus' baptism, the Father says of Jesus, You are my beloved Son, I, in you I am well pleased. But as we've learned over the last several weeks, not everyone is pleased. The Pharisees aren't pleased. They are rejecting Christ's authority. They think they prize purity, but they're rejecting the only one who can make them pure. And it isn't just the Pharisees who are responding poorly. The crowds are pressuring Jesus now for a quick fix, a healing without surrender, a healing that usurps His authority, that doesn't make them belong to Jesus, but it makes Jesus belong to them. And the demons acknowledge the authority of Jesus, right? They declare now at the end of this passage, Jesus is the Son of God, but they do it for all the wrong reasons. They want to 
keep Jesus back from getting to the cross because they want to cancel out His mission of rescuing and redeeming a people for Himself. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt a bit like Jesus? Some were rejecting you and some were undermining you and some were even telling the truth about you but doing it for the wrong reasons. Welcome to what it's like to be Jesus. Or to be the church, the body of Christ in the world. We shouldn't be surprised by the challenges of pursuing the mission of God in the world. The rejection, the self-serving pressures of the crowd, and even demonic opposition. If they, if they came around the mission of God with Jesus Himself, we ought not be surprised that it follows us as well. And when this happens, when, when the pressure amps up, because we go all in for the mission of God. And we say we're going to take up our cross and die daily. No matter what the world says. Even no matter what some of the religious people might say. Who are there and sitting around and really want it to be all about them. Rather than the mission of God. When these things happen, how do we stay in the race? How do we not lose our minds or our faith? How do we stay on mission with Jesus? Take up our cross and die daily and point others to the true hope we found in the gospel. I believe that's what this passage of Scripture is answering. For us to stay on mission with Jesus, there's four things we see in this text. First, we must take time to get away together with Him. Secondly, we must offer Christ's healing to the diverse multitudes as they hear of all that Jesus is doing. Thirdly, we must not give in to the pressures that come from the crowd. And finally, we must stand against opposition to the mission of God. First, we must take time to get away together with Jesus. Jesus is under two tremendous pressures. He's under the pressure to quickly meet the immediate needs of everyone who comes to Him. I mean, He's Jesus. Jesus, take care of this, take care of that. And secondly, He's under the threat of a premature death. In verse 6, the Pharisees are plotting to destroy Him. He's under the threat of a premature death from people who have rejected Him. And then we read this wonderful sentence in verse 7. Jesus withdrew to the sea with His disciples. Do you ever just need to withdraw from life? Do you ever need to just back out and get away with Jesus? Here is that permission for the church to spend time with Jesus. Here is that reminder that if we're not spending time with Jesus, then the mission will fizzle and die. Capernaum is already by the Sea of Galilee, so when it says that he retreats to the sea, it implies that Jesus quit Capernaum for the more deserted stretches of the shore to the north where the Jordan River enters the lake. In other words, Jesus went to where there was no cell phone coverage. Amen. The, the Lord of the Sabbath takes a sabbatical. And if Jesus takes time to get away to commune with the Father and to fellowship with His disciples, away from the pressures that come with the mission and with ministry, surely we need to do the same. <clears throat> you know, I, I love commercials. And there's, a, there's an airline called Southwest Airlines. And about 10 years ago, they had a campaign. I think they've recently brought it back. And it had two words. Want to get away? You remember that? And every time I see this commercial, I'm like, yeah, I, I do want to get away. That would be great to get away. And here is what the Scriptures are showing us. 
For the church to stay in the mission of God for the long haul, we have to have times where we get away together with Jesus. To withdraw means to be removed from a tense or hostile situation for the purpose of retreat and solitude. In Greek literature, the word withdrawal often refers to retreating from battle. But when Jesus retreats, He's not quitting the battle. Rather, He's taking time to commune with His Father and with His disciples so that He will endure the cross and win the battle. And He's also showing us that the power for pursuing God's mission does not come from us, but it comes from being with Jesus. As Jesus says in John chapter 15, 4 and 5, Abide in Me, and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from Me, you can do a little bit? Nothing. Jesus is building a team. He's building a team that will lead the mission forward based upon their shared experience and understanding of who He is and how His mission advances. Even now, Jesus is preparing the team, the disciples, for His departure and their deployment as His ambassadors in a broken world. The first church, the church at Jerusalem, is not led by a mega pastor, not led by a senior pastor, not led by a bunch of committees. It is led by 12 men who've been together with Jesus. Then, as new churches in the New Testament are launched, they are not led by committees or even by a senior pastor, but by a team of pastors who have enjoyed a shared experience with Christ through the training that they received from Paul or Timothy, or as the churches progressed, the generation of pastors who went before them. And this principle of a team retreating together with Jesus doesn't just apply to pastors, it applies to every disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons that we break into Sunday school classes at 9.45 each Sunday. To stay on mission with Jesus for the long haul, we must take time to, to get away together with Him. It's why we gather Sunday after Sunday. It's why we sing songs about the Gospel. It's why we pray the Gospel. It's why we preach the gospel. We have gathered this morning to be reminded of our common mission and to be away together with Jesus, to sing to him and to behold him in the word of God as it is read and explained and proclaimed. The power for fulfilling the great commission in the world comes from our great communion with Christ and one another. Want to get away? But secondly, we must offer Christ healing to the diverse multitudes as they hear of all that Jesus is doing. Centuries before Steve Jobs ever dreamed up the iPhone, Jesus must have known what it was like to own one. When he tried to get away with his disciples, he was followed by a great multitude from extensive geographical regions. I, I love and hate this thing. Because you expect me to have it in my pocket. And there's times I want to turn it off and throw it in the bottom of the sea. And I imagine that Jesus felt the exact same way. Already, Jesus' reach extends much farther than that of John the Baptist. One of the fears that we may have as a church of taking time to get away, truly get away with Jesus and one another, is that we might lose our ministry in the process, or we might miss an opportunity. But if our identity and our ministry are anchored in Christ, and in the healing that only He can give in time, look what happens. Word of what Christ has done will spread. Notice 
that Mark uses the word great in verse 7 and in verse 8. In verse 7, Jesus and the disciples are followed by a great multitude. In verse 8, a great number of people heard all that Jesus was doing and came to Him. And then look at verse 10. Jesus heals many of them. Brothers and sisters, I pray for the day when the multitudes come to us, not because of Judgment House or VBS or Windshape, an event, a performance, a program, or a gimmick. I pray for the day when the multitudes come to us because they have heard of the difference that Jesus is making through the healing power of the Gospel in us, the people of North Roanoke Baptist Church. What the world needs to hear about is the eternal difference Jesus has made in us. And when that message gets out, all sorts of people will come. When we begin to say, I was like Zacchaeus, I was robbing people, I was robbing God, and now I want to be a giver, a lavish giver to God. When, I, when people begin to say, I was like the woman at the well, and I was unfaithful, and I was promiscuous, but now I've come and I've found Jesus and He's healed me. When people say, I was like the prodigal son running away from the father. But the Father was ready to receive me back when people see life change that is wrought in our hearts by the gospel of God. People will come. And the ethnic diversity of the people who follow Jesus is remarkable. As Aiken writes, look at the diversity. Some came from Galilee in northern Israel and were mostly Jews though there were probably Gentiles too. Others came from Judea in southern Israel and Jerusalem and would have been predominantly Jews. Those who came from Idumea, southeast of Judea, would have been a mix of Jews and Gentiles. Still others came from the east, across the Jordan, from the area of the ten predominantly Gentile cities known as the Decapolis. Finally, some people came from Tyre and from Sidon, northwest of Galilee. These two would have been mostly Gentiles. They didn't have a Jewish church and a Gentile church there by the Sea of Galilee. It was a big old mix of, of different kinds of people. It was a congregation already. Already the Jewish Savior has come and there's Jews and Gentiles longing for the healing that He provides. When word spreads about how Jesus Christ is at work in our midst, people will come. All kinds of people. And they will come in great numbers. That's why I talk about building the church more than I talk about building our building or renovating our facility, as important as those things might be. When we study and apply ourselves to the deep truths of the Gospel in every aspect of our lives, when we let God's Word shape our thinking about our marriages, our families, our government, our career, and the way we do church itself, when we read God's Word and we see how they did church in the New Testament and we say, that's the kind of church that I want to be, that honors our King. Jesus honors that sort of intentionality and our obedience to Him with an abundant awareness of His presence. He gives us power for living on mission with Him. And when that happens, we will be ready to serve the multitudes of people that God sends our way. And when the multitude comes, Jesus shows us we must offer His healing. But we must also be careful because the crowd often comes for a miracle without wanting to submit to the Messiah. The crowd is often more interested in the show than they are in the Savior. They're more interested in the event than in life everlasting. They want a healing from Jesus now, but not a healing that comes through a cross and which leads them to devote the remainder of their lives to the cause of Christ in communion with His church. And when that happens, church, the mission is put at risk because true healing always 
must lead us to the cross. It must always go through the cross. A cross that the crowds would have kept Jesus away from just to keep Him and make Him their own. So Jesus has the disciples prepare a getaway boat in verse 9. And He does this because He's showing the church that we must not give in to the pressures that come from the crowd. We must not give in to the pressures that come from the crowd. Brothers and sisters, the crowd that's outside these walls, generally speaking, is happy for us to exist as long as we exist on their terms. As long as we don't meddle in the things that they believe that are contrary to the Gospel. As long as we provide hand, extra handouts in the world, but don't ever speak the truth of God into our culture, the culture is fine for us to exist. In verse 9, Mark transitions from his use of the word people to the use of the word crowd in verse 9. The change in the word from people to crowd is very important. We should always be ready to serve the people that want to be healed by Jesus. But we must never compromise the mission of God to cater to the crowd. Do you understand? The crowd wants to take from Jesus rather than receive from Him. They want transformation without trust. They want peace without repentance. They want freedom without saving faith. They want an immediate experience without a daily surrender. They want marital bliss without missional focus. They want deliverance without a diagnosis. They want a cure without a cross. They want to be blessed by Jesus on their terms and not on God's. And that is a healing that we simply cannot offer. If Jesus had caved to the crowd, He would have had the largest and most popular ministry of His day. But we would still be dead in our trespasses and sins. A popular Jesus, a Jesus who is popular but does not go to the cross, could not save us. Only the faithful Jesus could save us. The same is true for us. We might be able to increase our popularity in the Roanoke Valley by catering to the crowd and abandoning the message of the gospel, but if we abandon the gospel, we haven't really helped anyone at all. Brian Fickert, in his book, When Helping Hurts, says this about the issue of poverty, and I think it applies to all sorts of issues. He says this, poverty is rooted in broken relationships. So the solution to poverty is rooted in the power of Jesus' death and resurrection to put all things in right relationship again. In other words, whether it is poverty or divorce or gender identity or addictions or greed or bitterness or depression or anxiety or any other affliction, see that in verse 10, all sorts of afflictions the crowd has, there's no lasting healing if Jesus does not go to the cross, if the church does not take up her cross and die daily in order to tell people why He went there in the first place and what it means for their lives. So, Jesus tells His disciples, get a boat ready. It's time to get out of here. The crowd is crowding Him, verse 9. Literally, the word means to press upon. It's the word used of the pressing down of grapes into wine. In verse 10, the crowds pressed around Him in order to take possession of Him. The sense is, they wanted to take Jesus and make Jesus theirs, like their little genie in the bottle. Look, it's Jesus. He's got power. We'll, he'll do for us whatever we ask of Him. Jesus has come to make us His, but the crowd tries to make Jesus theirs. They wanted to make Jesus fit their agenda rather than make Jesus their agenda. 
We're here this morning because Jesus is our agenda. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We adore and worship and praise Him for who He is. Achan says this, the people in the churches who work hard to reach people will often face the temptation to only meet the immediate and temporary needs and abandon the more critical work of pointing people to their ultimate and eternal need. The crowds are comfortable with cures that do not require the cross, but if we, like Jesus, don't get them to the cross, they will die. You see, Jesus refuses to let the mission be undermined by the pressures of the crowd. He will not compromise the mission for popularity. He will not compromise the mission to avoid the cross. He will get to the cross to offer real healing for His people, and we must be those who do the same. How do we do that? First and foremost, we remember that we're not primarily an organization with a budget and a strategic plan and a constitution and bylaws. We are that, but that's not primarily what we are. We are first and foremost a new creation through the blood of Jesus. We are not the sum of our various ministries and committees trying to meet various problems of various people. We are one people who have been forever changed by Christ, who cured us by enduring the cross. What the world needs from us more than anything else is that we is what we've already been given by Christ. They need the gospel. They need a church that will prove the difference Christ has made in our lives by going to the cross for one another, by being desperate for more than a quick fix, by being hungry for the new and everlasting life that God has given to us. And when we do these things, when we focus on spending time together with Jesus, when we offer Christ healing to the multitudes, when we resolve that we will not settle for ministry that's merely popular or comfortable or convenient, but when we insist on pointing people to the cross of Christ, when we've done all that, when we've gotten away with Jesus, when we've paid attention to the people in the crowd who are really hungry for the gospel, when we've said we won't build our ministry around what the world says is popular, we'll build our ministry on getting people to the white hot heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ that God came down and died for them. When we do all of that, guess what? There's still going to be opposition. Still going to be opposition. Jesus does all of that. And look at verses 11 and 12. Whenever the unclean spirits saw Him, they would fall down before Him and shout, You are the Son of God. And He earnestly warned them not to tell who He was. You see, there's nothing more threatening to Satan and the enemies of God and the forces of evil than when a church gets laser focused on the mission of God in the world. It's at that moment that the unclean spirits do what the Pharisees and the disciples and the crowds haven't done yet. They acknowledge His divine authority. They declare that He is the Son of God. And they are exactly right. As Edwards observes, the crowds may fall upon Jesus trying to make Him theirs, but the evil spirits have to fall before Him. And of course the demons are right, but their motives are entirely wrong. What they're attempting to do is to derail the plan. They're trying to expose fully who Jesus is in order to knock Him off the path of getting to the cross. The forces of darkness 
are not threatened by many of the things that churches are attempting to do today. But when we get focused on spending time together with Jesus and pursuing the mission of God in the world, no matter what it costs and no matter what petty disagreements we may have about other superfluous issues, opposition will come to the church that gets focused on the mission of God. But opposition is no reason to stop. Why? Because the demons are right. He's the Son of God. And we have life in the Son, the Son who would not let the demons keep Him from getting to the cross to rescue us. He tells them to be quiet. Sorry kids, He tells them to shut up. That's what He does. And guess what? They have to answer. They have to stop. They have to confess the sovereignty of God. And they have to confess that they are subject to our King. So what is our responsibility, church, when opposition comes? When we we do all the right things, when we get away together with Jesus, when we really cultivate a, a quiet time and a devotional life, and we have partners in the gospel, and we stay focused on the mission of God, and opposition comes, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to remember the King that we serve. We remember what Christ has won and what it cost Him and we stay the course because Christ has already gone before us in victory. He's already secured our allegiance by giving His life and trampling over death and the forces of darkness in His resurrection. And even if we die for the sake of the mission, we we win. North Roanoke Baptist Church, by God's grace, nothing will stop us from boldly pursuing the mission of God in our valley and around the world until He comes. As we spend time together with Jesus, as we look for opportunities to give Christ healing to the people who are in the crowd, as we avoid the pressures and the pitfalls from the crowd, and we keep on living and giving and praying the gospel of Jesus Christ in the face of every opposition. Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we praise You this morning for the hope of the Gospel. And God, as I, as I reflect on this sermon this morning and the various points, my, my mind and my heart are captivated by the idea that we can retreat with You. That we can, we can disengage for a while and spend time together in Your Word and around who You are. Jesus, You are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are Christ. You are Messiah. You're the Anointed One. You're the King of glory. You are our Savior and our Redeemer, our reconciliation and our hope. And You are the One who went to the cross for us. And You are the One who silences even the demons, God. You silence the opposition when we stay with You on mission And so, God, this morning, we ask in Jesus' name that You would make us a church who is so riveted to who You are and so grateful for the cross of Christ that nothing would stop us, nothing would hinder us from laying down our lives for one another, for You, for the cause of Christ in the world, with great confidence, God, that You honor the church, when we present ourselves as living sacrifices day by day. God, we ask that You would send the multitudes to us. And that when You send the multitudes, You would give us eyes to see the people who are ready to receive the Gospel. And God, just like You have done for us, that You would in turn change their lives 
as well. Thank you for being our rescuer and our redeemer and our savior. We bless you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know what your need is this morning. Maybe you don't know this king who wouldn't let anything stop him from getting to the cross to rescue you. Maybe today's the day that you need to stop trying to please God in your own and be pleased to receive the gospel from the God who gave his life for you. For others of you, maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been trying to do this mission thing all in your own strength. Or maybe like a Pharisee, you've been checking every box on the old school offering envelope. Remember the offering envelopes with the check boxes? Every week I checked every single box, but I, I don't feel filled up on the inside. I, I just need to get back to a place of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done for me. I need to, just, I need to withdraw with, Je- with Jesus for a while. I need to get away. I don't know where you are, but one thing I do know is Jesus knows where you are. And he'll meet you right where you are and get you back to where you need to be. So whatever your need, as we sing at the cross, let's worship the king this morning who went to the cross for every single one of us.